Welcome to Brother Brother Podcast, a podcast that is part therapy, part tongue-in-cheek, all real talk. With me, as always, my brother, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, it's a beautiful Sunday here in Gloucester, Massachusetts. Gloucester. Right by the water. Gloucester, where you get your lobster. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, a beautiful, it's a beautiful day. Yeah, um, man, we, we kind of have a lot to talk about, kind of don't have a lot to talk about, really. Um, <laughs> no, but... Starting off on a positive Right, right, note. starting on a positive note. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, yeah, but let's get started. Um, when we talk about a couple things in the news, and, and we're kind of going to, what, rapid fire these stuff? Because there's like, God, there's kind of a lot to talk about, but then, you know, it's not like a lot I want to talk about. Anyway, but before we get started with that, we do, for anybody who uh, is listening and listens to, I assume you listen to both podcasts if, if you're listening to this, but if you listen to, in my humble opinion, you're wondering where we are, uh, we are coming back. Uh, uh, don't worry about that. We were going to actually record this week and do some and have something out for you uh, for Monday. But uh, there's this little thing called Irma, a hurricane you may have heard about that's just wrecking all kinds of havoc. And uh, Jen's kind of buckering down with that and having to deal with that. So we decided to postpone our little comeback. And then next week we're in Cincinnati for October Festa and we'll hope to see some of you guys there. So we might not be back for couple more weeks maybe we'll try to get something out next week um we're, we're really not quite sure on that note um but in my humble opinion is coming back so without further ado it's just been a, a crazy i guess season really for for like ep- uh disasters and natural disasters got wildfires out in the northwest uh ash has fallen in portland um you know harvey and then Irma, and then there are two more storms out there, Jose and uh, the Kira, I think is the other one. Uh, I think so. It seems like, you know, getting stretched a bit thin. Uh, and there's talk that they might have, I think they projected a total of six that are supposed to hit landfall this season. And we've already seen two so far. And, you know, Irma was like a category five and at, at times was pushing up against the, the threshold. They were thinking they were going to have to make a new category. I mean, and then was it Barbuda, uh, which is was totally devastated, like 90% of... Um, 95% of all habitable buildings were demolished. And, however, so I... Jumping in and messing up rapid fire again. Um, so I saw... I listened to a great interview with the Prime Minister of Antigua and Barbuda. And Antigua, which is separated by 21 miles... Uh, if you take a ferry there from one island to the other, uh, they had five buildings get significant damage. Uh, 21 miles away, the entire island was demolished. But the people are so prepared that they only had one fatality, and that fatality was, um, fortunately, was a toddler who, when a building collapsed, they were moving to a, another safety shelter and the wind literally ripped the baby from the mother's arms. And by the time they found the baby, um, it had been, like, pushed into a puddle and had drowned. But, like, with an island that has, I think they said it was 16,000 people, um, to only have one fatality and have 95% of your buildings demolished um, speaks to the preparedness of those people and the resilience of those people. Yeah, and... 
like like we said last week, uh, our thoughts and prayers are with those people. And you know, if you can donate, uh, you know, go ahead and do that. Uh, it would be a big help for all involved. Exactly. Um, Tim Duncan again messing up rapid fire. Tim Duncan, who uh, was born in the Virgin Islands, U.S. Virgin Islands, um, wrote a great piece on. Um, Twitter and put on um, a couple of other websites that posted it for him. It's this whole idea of like, you know, while donating a bunch of money for Houston, and we're probably going to have to do that for some places in Florida and along the Gulf as, as uh, Irma moves forward, don't forget about the islands. You know, don't forget about um, the Caribbean and all these other places. Uh, they really rely on tourism sponsors, uh, their national their country's national GDP would not really is not going to be able to support them to uh, fix um, and repair what the way they need to. So um, we as a community of people, as a species, need to remember that, and we need to um, help some of these places that have really been just devastated. Yeah. So think about that. Um, also in the news, uh, Trump, to nobody's surprise, ended DACA, but then. Uh, I guess there's a little caveat because he said that he is going to revisit DACA in six months. And I think really what he wants is for um, it, it seems like and, and I'm not going to tr read into this too much because it's Donald freaking Trump. But um, it, it seems like what he wants is for this uh, Congress to actually pass a Dreamers Act so that the dreamers will be safe. But, you know, once again, it's Donald Trump who hasn't been the, the friendliest to immigrants. Well, here's my thing. I actually think it's a win-win for Donald Trump if you're looking at it. So he cancels DACA at, with the six-month layoff, which allows people to renew. Which, by the way, if you are a dreamer and you are, are a DACA um, recipient currently, if you're DACA, um, whatever, it's, it's going to – your credentials are going to expire – by March 5th, you need to renew by the October 5th deadline. I've been seeing that on Twitter, and I know a bunch of podcasts have been pushing that because, you know, word of mouth is a lot better because the Trump administration is not going to tell people. They're not going to, you know, make sure that people know this. Keep your credentials because that way you don't have to worry about issues in the future because you weren't covered during the six-month period. Just wanted to say that. But, again, the win-win for Donald Trump is if the Congress doesn't do something, uh, I don't, I, I can't believe that if the Congress doesn't do something that he would give another reprieve. I think what would happen would be court injunctions might extend it for people. But there's no way in my mind do I believe that Donald Trump will ever come up with a Dreamer Act or anything like it. So you don't think he'll, he'll save it? I can't imagine. Because here's the thing. Donald Trump doesn't give a fuck. I think Donald Trump would be, as much as he's like, yeah, I want to be um, uh, a two-term person, I don't really think he gives a fuck. I think he'd be okay being like, yo, I was the president and I left on my terms. Because he'll spin it however fuck he wants to satisfy his mind. Because that's all he cares about. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. I don't think he... I don't know. I think it depends on... The competition, but it would not surprise me the least bit if he doesn't run for a second term. I think it's like the job is just too hard. It was much harder than he thought it was going to be. He hates the scrutiny. He can't make money the way he was making, and everyone fucking hates him. Right. They're always marching against me. Um, going back to rapid fire, um, North Korea potentially set off another bomb. I, I don't know that it's been certified yet. 
Um, but it was the largest ever based on uh, seismic activities after the impact. Um, it's North Korea being North Korea. Like, it's... This is happy, fun time for them right now because they have a willing opponent who they can antagonize, who will antagonize back, which gives them all the ammunition they want to be bad. Yeah, and, and it's it's dangerous for us because... Um, most presidents would realize what's going on and just like ignore them. But I think this president is somebody who, you know, he, he's not really he doesn't have a full grasp on, on what's actually going on and what's in play. And, and it would not surprise me in the least bit if he, you know, like accidentally went to war like that. That's my concern that we accidentally fight somebody. Oh, my God. Agreed. Well, just like he he says, I can imagine him saying the wrong thing on Twitter at like 3 a.m. in the morning because he couldn't get sleep and he was tired and they read it as a real provocation of like oh these people are about to actually attack us right and and the next thing you know they hit Seoul or they fucking hit Hokkaido with a or maybe they don't even try to actually do it but they actually put new and they actually put munitions on one of their missiles as opposed to just firing a missile and it actually hits someplace Right, or or you know they're just doing what they do, firing crap into the sea of Japan, or find stuff over Japan or, or over you know South Korea, and they you know it has a bad guidance system. Right, he just takes that as an attack, you know. So like I don't I, I don't want to accidentally go to war, and I feel like if we that I I feel like that's a real possibility. Well, I mean, you just don't also want, like, a Gulf of Tonkin situation where a misunderstanding or a, a slight provocation is allowed to be exaggerated into something dangerous that, ca- that that ends in, like, serious war. God forbid that that regime thinks that they're going down. You know that's not going to end well for anyone. Okay, um, also, uh, wrapping up the news a bit, uh, Houston faces environmental dangers from 13 flooded toxic waste sites. Um, there was also the explosion at the uh, flooded chemical site. I don't, I haven't really heard too many updates about that, but it'll be interesting to find what some of the after reports about that because that was uh, a really serious situation. There are a lot of people who were trapped in their homes or near those places, and there was smoke and and supposedly there were order, odors, um, depending upon who you. Yeah, I think one of the problems was that uh, some of these uh, chemical plants, they, you know, since they lost power, um, they didn't have, they weren't able to refrigerate a lot of these chemicals and a lot of these things. Um, so, you know, once they got to a certain temperature, they started to do what chemicals do and reacted with one another. And then, you know, like that's one of the dangers of, of, um, hurricanes and natural disasters is like it's not just you know the the disaster itself but the after effects you know uh, losing power in, in places that it's crucial that you have power um Brad, do you know uh what is built in on um, one of the barrier islands in florida yeah that the nuclear power plant insane yeah who thought to build a nuclear power plant on a barrier island in florida and not even in northern florida and it's like just north of the Jensen Beach West Palm area, which is not, I mean, it's insane. Yeah. It's absolutely insane. That is going to be a problem in a few years. 
<laughs> for real, that's going to be a problem. Especially if these storms keep, um, you know, propping up the way that we all think that they are and that they're projected to do. Like that, oh, we might be in for like disaster compounded upon disaster. Has anyone heard of Fukushima? That's exactly what happened yeah. to them. Well, last story. Uh, Betsy DeVos is going to look at, uh, is, is going to re-look at uh, campus assaults, sexual assaults on uh, college campuses, and relook at some of the rules that Obama administration put into place. And you know, I, I heard that and was like, that almost gives her like ass out of the year status. But uh, it, I, I'm, I, I think it's important to hold off because what she plans on doing, I guess, remains to be seen. So it, it might, you know, I, I assume the worst, but you know, who who knows? Who knows these things? We won't know until it actually happens that something actually happens. Yeah, listen, I... You know who her brother is? No. Uh, her brother is the founder and owner of... Um, who is that mercenary group in... Blackwater? Yeah. That's her brother. Really? That's her brother. Imagine how fucked up that family was. That <laughs> you came up with... Uh, um, a student loan queen and one of the worst profiteer, privateer militia dudes in the world. Like, they're successful. You, you gotta give yourself that. Fuck if they aren't vicious people. When she was, like, uh, touring college campuses to, um, to gather information on that, she met with men's rights groups. To be like, I want to get your opinion on how uh, rape accusations uh, affect you. They're like, oh yeah, we definitely want to talk to you. From from what I've heard on people on both sides of the story, and and this is a reason I, I didn't nominate her for ass out of the years because it's something I personally feel like I should do more research into before I make a, a judgment. But from from what I hear, some of those rules can be and probably should be looked at. Like I, I from what I I heard, there's a rule where you can like accuse somebody of, of of rape or something like two years after the fact, and, and I'm not saying that 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 shouldn't be a rule or anything, but I don't know. I just no, no. Listen, I that is a that's a fact that that's something that should be examined. Yeah. How, how do you defend yourself when there's no evidence? Exactly, and not only when there's no evidence. How do you defend yourself against an event that happened two years ago? You're like, at what point do you say? A statute of limitations is important. Right. And, and I mean, that's part of the problem with sexual assault is that a lot of people, victims of sexual assault, don't report them because not just because of the nature, but they don't believe that they're going to be believed or, or, you know, there's a stigma attached to it. So they might not have. So, like, there is a reason why having, a, a, you know, two years or so or four or five years between, you know, for you to be able to report it is important, but at the same time, like, I don't know, I, I, there is part of me that thinks that that should be revisited, or, or, you know, I agree with looking at that, and the problem I have is that the people who want us to look at it are not the most credible. Exactly. Like, well, that's the thing, it's like, there are sensible people who are saying, listen, like you and I are saying, there needs to be protection for the accuser and the accused, like, you know, th that's part of, that's part of what our that's what our, what our system of justice are supposed to be at, at really in any level. The idea that the accuser has protections and the accused has the ability to properly defend themselves in a timely manner. Because from what I also understand is that, like, I think 
And, and and once again, this is why I say I need to do the research because like I've heard that some of the new rules require every time that there's a sexual encounter, you have to get consent. And I mean, to I, I understand why that is important, but then at the same time, there's part of me that's like, well, I, it seems I don't know if you're in a committed relationship to always. Ask, you know, to always be like, hey, you want to, you know, it just seems, that seems weird to me. I don't know. Well, I, I get that. The way I look at it is just like, for me, when it comes to, and again, like you say, it's not people, it's not that you shouldn't listen to the accused side, because I don't want to say men's, that, I don't want to say you want to listen to the men's side, because, you know, men can be raped as well, and obviously in, um, situations homosexual situations where there are two women a woman can can force herself on another woman my problem is like you said it's the people who are doing it the people who are like these men's rights guys are not like the guys who are trying to look out for people who are being accused they're basically trying to look out for rapists and misogynists you know like these are the guys who are boycotting um Mad Max Fury Road because Furiosa is was like a strong female lead like it was too prominent right yeah you know? hating against the new Star Wars because Rey was a woman who was highly strong in the Force and you had to, <laughs> right. like those those these are the dudes who are like yeah yeah let's uh, yeah no one's looking at the guy's fault you know it's 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 crazy like like right and when when you agree with these guys you kind of like these are the guys like I don't want necessarily want to agree with them. You know, because, I mean, even if, I don't know, it, it's it's all tricky. It's all tricky. You just want to be like, listen, fuck these guys. They right. have a point, but fuck these guys. I just want to make that clear. You can have a, you can make a decent point and still be a shithead. What yeah. I'm and these exactly. guys are living that, living proof of that. But, um, let's, let's move on to, uh, the asshat of the year nominee. The nominees are, and and I'm gonna go. I'm gonna nominate Sheriff Judd. Uh, he was a sheriff in Florida uh, who was telling people, "Hey, if you have a a warrant, or if you're a fugitive, or if you know you're having any problems with the police, don't come to a shelter because we will arrest you." And you know that is so problematic because there's so many people who are in need of help, you know, and that is something that that is just so dangerous, just on the face of it, because it, it's letting people it it puts people in harm's way you know and that's just not good and and i get you want to be all tough on on crime and all that crap but no that's not the way to do it you don't put people in danger just to make a i don't know what some sort of political point to look like you're tough on 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 whatever not only that think about people who might have like a bunch of parking tickets who might have a violation that they haven't been able to pay and maybe those people have children, and they're like, now I can't, I'm going to write it out at home because I'm afraid of taking my kids to the shelter, I get arrested, and who's going to watch my kids? You are basically keeping people away from safety. It's uh, such an ugly and despicable thing. And the thing about it is, like, you know he thinks he's a big man over this. And right. It's like, you're not a big man, you're putting people in danger, you're doing the opposite of your job. Protect and serve. That was not the time. For once, that phrase actually applies. Now is not the time. <laughs> this is not the time exactly. for that. He's definitely, hey, I agree, on the list for Asshat of the Year. And speaking of Asshat of the Year, we think it's important to also think about the positive things and to recognize the positive people 
Um, and that's why we're also doing the Hero of the Year. Uh, now, we sort of did our first Hero of the Year last show, um, Ed Screen. Uh, we didn't really call him that, but we basically said that. Um, but officially, he uh, our first nominee. Um, and my nominee is going to be, for this episode, um, are going to be the Heroes of Houston. And not just the people who live in Houston, but the people in the surrounding areas who, from Texas, from Louisiana, from Arkansas, Mississippi, from all around who came in trucks with boats, uh, supplies, who took from their own resources to help other people out. The people who came with grills and food trucks and whatever they had out of their shops and restaurants to feed people, those who could pay and those who couldn't. The world can be a very dark place, often it is, but it's the small acts like these that really shine a light in the darkest of times, and it speaks a lot to some of the worth of the people in our society, and I want to commend all the people, um, not just in Houston, because Houston wasn't the only area that got flooding, but all through Texas, um, parts of Louisiana, the people who banded together, the people around the nation who donated, sent supplies, um, and did everything to help as many people and the people who will continue to help. So, to the heroes of Harvey, uh, you're my nominee for Hero of the Year. Yes, we salute you. And I'm going to nominate someone, too, since, you know, uh, this is our first time. Might as well get two in. Um, I'm going to no- nominate the, the uh, nurse who was arrested in Salt Lake City. She did what she had to to protect, you know, not just her patient, but... Um, follow the rules and the policy especially when it would have been easier just to you know give the uh officer what he wanted she decided to you know do the right thing and i think that needs to be commended because there's that old adage that all evil needs all yeah all evil needs is for good men to do nothing and um i think she should be commended for doing the right thing even at the cost of you know being being arrested so kudos to her Definitely kudos to her. And the um, phrase, just because it's one of my favorite phrases, is all evil needs to flourish is for good men to do nothing. Gotta put that flourish in there, Rich. I don't really think you need to, but whatever. Whatever. And that brings us to our main topic, which is um, let's see how far we've come. And the reason I wanted to bring this up is because I think sometimes when, you know, you're looking at how bleak things are, you kind of forget, you know, just how much improvement we've seen and how much things have changed. And, and what really hit that home for me was uh, this week, uh, Amanda Roberts Jones, a slave, a daughter of a slave. Uh, she was 110 and she died this week. Uh, she was um, she voted, you know, for the first African-American president, Barack Obama, and helped open the uh african-american smithsonian and it's just one of those things it's um yeah you know because i I was thinking about how how crazy it is that you know what kind of life she led you know because she's 110 years old was a daughter of a slave and lived to see you know the first black president elected and like that is just it's amazing to me that we are like one, two generation removed from slavery. You know, we think of slavery as something that happened like, uh, you know, like a thousand years ago, like ancient history. But, you know, it wasn't that far away. 
And, um, you know, so it, it, it always amazes me how close we are to history and then just really how much things have changed. Um, and then also this week on a, on a sadder note, uh, and, and I guess you could fall this, put this under how far we have to go. Right. Yeah. How far we have to go <laughs> because a, a New Hampshire kid was, um, lynched this week. Uh, well, I don't. I think the news of it came out this week, but uh, yeah, he was a biracial kid. Um, it was being had been constantly taunted um, for being biracial. Was thrown uh, racial slurs were thrown at him, and uh, some kids were. I I, I think right now a lot of the the big details are are, are kind of hazy because police aren't releasing any of the details. But from what we can tell, he was in the backyard playing with some kids and they started, you know, yelling at him and uh, throwing racial uh, slurs at him. They took a rope swing, which had a tire on it, took the rope off and then put it around his neck and, and hung him repeatedly. So it's it's one of those things like it's 2017 and this is still happening. And not only is it still happening, these are kids. These are fucking kids. So they've learned that from someone. Exactly. Someone is still teaching their kids to lynch black people in 2017 in the Great North, everyone. Uh, yeah. I, this isn't going to be about how how bad things are. Again, I wanted to just to stress that. <laughs> right. I wanted to talk about you know how far we have come. So th- to that extent, um, I, I want to. I, I guess this is going to be a things were bad then and they're better now at, at the same time kind of thing. So I, I wanted to start out with just like some of the things that we've seen in our lifetime. Uh, for instance, I, I have noticed that as bad as you, you see on, on Twitter and, and things like, uh, you know, these racist and Jews will not replace us, you know, churches being spray painted with the N word and stuff. But growing up, you it was not unusual to have be called a nigger or or have that you know thrown at you but i was thinking about this the other day i was like i can't remember last time i've actually heard somebody call anybody a nigger you know like Me i just too i was thinking i was like that it seems crazy but yeah like i can't think of the last time i've had anybody call me that in a and you live in north way. carolina right exactly <laughs> and in I don't know. That's that's kind of crazy that we're at a point now where that is not crazy, crazy in a good way that we're at a point now where like that is totally taboo and people know not to do it. You know, that's such a, no, that's a great thing. I know. I, I totally agree. Um, I think it's, it's one of those things where if you are old enough or you actually know the history of this nation, that as bad as things are for, for, as bad as things are for a lot of things, um, like criminal justice and even income equality, like things are not as bad as they used to be and can be. Um, and that is one of the things that that's the shining light. You know, it change unfortunately happens slowly, but there are so many things that when you when we were growing up that were commonplace enough that you weren't shocked by them. I feel like the racism that we're fighting today is like institutional racism that 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 hard in in the uh, uh what's the cornerstone you know it's, it's that stuff that's deep down in the bedrock that's the word I was looking for yeah 
you know, um, I don't, I don't feel like it's the racism that you encounter on the street every day. Like I just, and I, I think like that is, it's so interesting that we don't have to necessarily, you know, I'm not saying that it's all gone because it's not, but I just don't feel like we're at a point where we're dealing with it on a constant basis. And, and this, the, the hard fights now is the institutional racism, the, the, uh, just sessions of, of the world, um, in the North Carolina trying to take away people's voter rights act, you know, that's what we're fighting now. And also some of the subtle long-term ones that have been happening, you know, the racism that happens in banking when it comes to loan rates, to availability of loans and financing, um, in housing when it comes to, which I, I, I will say that housing is nice in the sense that today, because of the way houses are sold, um, you can buy a house without really, you don't have to see a realtor toward, till, towards the end, you know, and a realtor won't necessarily push you away from a white neighborhood the way they used to in the 50s and 60s. Like you, like you take a city like Milwaukee, which is known as one of the most segregated cities in the nation. Um, that city has like entire areas where um, they basically would block out um, if you were black or Hispanic or minority, they wouldn't show you in those parts of the city. Um, nowadays, if I want to buy a, a house in any neighborhood, I can just go online, look at the market, figure out if I can do the loan, take a walk through, and then buy it. And it seems like a small change, but it really is huge and important because by doing that, I can take my kids, if I have children, and put them into a better school system, which is a better education, which is a bigger advantage, which is huge when they get older. Like... There's so many things that affect our daily lives that um, we now no longer um, are victim. Uh, people of color and other vulnerable groups are now no longer um, subjugated to them on a daily basis. You know, if I have good insurance, I can go to any hospital that takes my insurance. Um, if I have, uh, if I need to get surgery from a specialist. As long as I want to, as long as I'm able to afford that specialist and they take my insurance and I can get in an appointment with them or referral to them, I can go to that hospital. That used to not be the case. And if you even want to go even further, it's so hard to find a racist hotel now that won't <laughs> take like black people. If you're in a racist hotel that won't take black people, you don't want to be in that hotel. Yeah, it, it's funny that you mentioned that because I have a friend at work, um, and, you know, we often talk politics, things like that, and he's an older gentleman, uh, and he was talk, you know, we often talk about how, how much things have changed. Like, he talks about how when he was growing up, he, he wasn't allowed to vote, you know, like, at 18, I could vote, and he was like, he didn't have that opportunity. Um, you know, growing up, he had that he was one of the people that had to drink from a different water fountain. You know, it's little things like that, that we often take for granted and, and overlook that it's like, it, it is quite amazing just how much things have actually changed in like big and significant ways. I have never had a problem getting a taxi cab in the city of Boston in the 10 years I've lived in the area. They have been comedians who have been making jokes my entire life about that being black and being unable to get a taxi cab 
And now with Uber, you don't even need a fucking taxi cab. They want to pick you up. They're like, please, let me be your fare, please. Let me let me take you anywhere. Like, there's so many things that as an adult, I'm 34, that I witness others who are my age when I was a child go through that I have um, rarely had to deal with or haven't really had to deal with. Like, you know, I've had someone call me... And speaking now about the whole last time someone called me a nigger, I actually do remember. I was in traffic, and this guy was trying to do, like, a Top Gun pull over, like, through four lanes. Mm-hmm. like on a But on a city street. And I was, like, turning, and I didn't let him in, because I was just like, bro, like, one, uh, what the fuck are you trying to do? You're, like, holding up traffic across three lanes, and I'm taking this turn so you're like fuck your couch yeah oh it's false man you're like listen bro you either take it or you don't and if you're an idiot fuck you let everyone let everyone beep their horn at you and call you an asshole that way the next time you think about doing this you won't you'll just go down the street and make a u-turn like a decent human being <laughs> anyways um yeah that was the last time someone uh, dropped the n-bomb in my direction and I just flicked him off, and then someone else flicked him off, and he just... Uh, last thing I saw were cars just not letting him in and turning. It was beautiful. And I could hear the horns. Um, but speaking of other uh, points of how far we've gone, um, the depiction of minorities uh, and really vulnerable people uh, in, in the arts is something that I think has been... Um, it's something I've cherished. I think about the fact that, like, it's okay now to be a black country star or a black singer or a gymnast, gymnast or a dancer or a ballet dancer. I think about uh, when we were growing up, the idea of being a black punk uh, singer or drummer, like how foreign that would be and how ostracized you might be depending upon what community you live in. It's one of those things I think it's beautiful. Like, I'm, again, I think I said this last show i'm envious of uh minority kids who are growing up now and to a similar effect the way women are growing up now like i think that it's nice to see a generation of parents who are making an emphasis uh on telling their children that you are special um and it's okay being what you are being black being gay being trans being a woman being Whatever you are, Hispanic, Asian, you know, it's okay. You don't have to lean towards this societal norm of what beauty is, you don't, or what being special is, or what being unique is, or what being successful is. You know, it's it's being sh- it's being shown in so many different ways. Like I think about, um, and you got me onto this podcast, um, uh, ethnically ambiguous. Uh-huh. The idea of that being uh, a concept when we were kids imagine if in high school someone said someone's gonna have a podcast where two middle eastern women talk about what it is to be women to be middle eastern to be middle eastern but growing up in america like you'd be like that's not going to be successful and that's not going no one's going that's to, not gonna fly yeah that's not gonna fly no one's gonna listen to that not here not in america yeah, I mean, and, and along those lines, um, diversity in general is like, I mean, as much as we, we talk about it and complain about it, like, we are so much further now than we are, like, just growing up, uh, just in, in the 30 some odd years we've been on this planet. I mean, the, the idea that a, 
a, a lesbian woman could have one of the number one talk shows on television or that there would years. be, you know, a lesbian couple would be the, the main focus of a, of a television show or you no, know, even interracial stuff, of course, you know, uh, you know, that's a big deal, but just all, all these other things on, on the periphery, you know, um, that, that we've come to, you know, uh, the, the, the idea that, I mean, there was a time when dog whistling to, to racist, and I mean, that's still a problem t- today. You only need to look at Donald Trump to see that. But at the same time, as bad as it is, and it is bad, people still, you know, they're, they're getting called out on that. Um, when you see that happen and see that occur, people talk about it. It's not something that we ignore and, and sweep under the rug because it's uncomfortable. Exactly. You know how much we talk about whitewashing if you listen to our podcast. Um, the fact that people are acting on it now, like Ed Screen stepping away, the fact that people are calling people out, and I expect people to call people out. Um, sidebar here. For those of you who are who are following the debacle that is the live-action Aladdin movie, um, you may not know they just cast um, a white actor in the role of Prince Ander, who is a role they created it seems to put basically put a white prince into the Aladdin storyline. I'm hoping that this gets so much traction like some of the other whitewashing and just like unnecessary moves like these. I hope that we get there. I don't know, maybe because they already cast them they won't pull they won't go in opposite direction, but I hope there's enough people pissed off about this that it makes them rethink it. Because again, we have come a long way and part of that is the fact that now when people see these things like red says people say something right you you look at the the uh flack that ghost in a shell got um you look at the flack that uh johnny depp got for um tonto, uh, tonto. Mm-hmm. you know i mean that that's not flack that Jake Gyllenhaal for Prince of Persia. Yeah, people talked about it, but it was nowhere on the same level as as what uh, as what we've seen lately. You know, uh, Gaza Egypt, for example. I mean, it was gonna it was a bad movie on its own, but I don't think it helped that there was like no uh, minority representation at all in that movie. I think that's something that hurt it a lot. Um, yep. Gods, uh, Exodus, Gods and Kings, like, there was a significant um, anger towards that movie before it came out that affected its revenue and affected um, the way critics saw that movie. Yeah, so, you know, we're at a point now where we can have a black Nick Fury or a black Johnny Storm, uh, Domino is, is uh, black, and it's like, and, and like I said, I've said this before, um, and, and I'm beating a dead horse here, but just because it's, it's great for black people doesn't mean, it, you know, we don't have further to go because, you know, these things, I, I think that if, if progress happens and we leave other uh, minority groups alone and, and they're left behind, then that's not a good thing. You know, that's not that's not 100%. progress. Because so. where is our Asian Marvel hero? Exactly. Where is our Hispanic uh, Marvel hero? And not like, and you know, like, and that's the thing. I love Star Wars, and I love the my, the diversity that's being shown in that. Um, in areas like the Expanse, sci-fi has always been um, 
a genre that has been ahead of the curve when it comes to diversity. But like, I want to see more. I want to see. I don't care if you have to change characters. I want to see more of what our world looks like. I want to see a generation where kids grow up seeing Muslim superheroes and Sheikh superheroes, and it's just be. It's just natural. You know, it's it's not a big thing anymore. I want that's what I want when it's not a big thing. Because one of the things they're talking about making a um a Batgirl movie, and and they're all wondering who oh, who's gonna you know they're, they're talking about casting for this for the Batwoman or Batgirl rather, and you know they're talking about all these A-lister stars. Uh, I think Amy Adams has come up maybe a couple of times, but the point. I was just make is how cool would it be if instead of going with Barbara Gordon, they went with uh, Cassandra Kane, you know, and cast the Asian uh, uh, Batgirl because that would just be just be as cool. I mean, there are a lot of Asian superheroes that, you know, Jubilee has. They've done six X Men movies, and Jubilee has yet to be in one of them. Um, uh, you know, like Kato was a big name back in the day, and and in China it was seen as Kato's movie and not, uh, I mean, Kato's show and not uh, the Green Hornet. Like, how awesome would that be if you know they made a Kato movie, a Kato-centric movie? So you know, little things like that that um, you know, j- just it would be really neat to see, and I think th- there's a lot of support there. Um, so. That's one of those things where we have come far when it comes to diversity. Uh, you know, the minorities are not the first one getting killed in, in movies. Hey, minorities survives movies sometimes. And, and let me tell you, people, as a as a Reggie and I, we grew up watching scary movies, watching movies in general, but definitely watching scary movies. I remember, I distinctly remember the turning of the tide in Anaconda when. Um, Ice Cube survived. Or Ice T? No, Ice Cube. Ice Cube. Jesus. I know. I'm Wait. ashamed. I'm ashamed that you messed that up, and you better not edit that out. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. <laughs> you Man, disgust my, me. My black heart is in jeopardy. That's gonna, that's gonna hurt at the review. It's gonna hurt at the yearly review. Um, when he survived that movie, I I remember walking out of the theater, and all of us being stunned, being like, I, I can't believe it. And then... Little by little, those things make a difference. When you see a futuristic movie and you see someone who looks like you in it, and when you see a bunch of people who look like you in it, and they're good or they're in command or they're profitable, that matters to a child, that matters to an adult, like that matters to a society. Um, that's the reason why it's important, like Red said, that everyone be come along, you know. I one of the things I love about where I live and the time we live in. I live in Boston and there are venues all over the city, so in different parts of the city, um, you know, if you're in the North End and you're seeing a show, you're going to see a different uh not necessarily a different group of people, but that neighborhood will influence, you know, your night. And I've been at shows where I've seen like homosexual couples who are holding hands who are kissing and like nothing happens of it i see interracial people who are just together you know and nothing happens of it and being a child who grew up around the united states but who grew up who really came of age middle school and high school in north carolina that stuff as a child it was impossible the idea of being in a public place and seeing a bunch of homosexual men 
having fun, just being free, not being subconscious of someone. That was something I just it like it really hit me every now and then. Yeah. And, and and not to say that I mean we're not saying that things are perfect now. I mean the LGBTQ community is, you know, god they they're under assault especially with this administration. But you, you see I feel like there are more people on their side, you know, more people out there defending them and you know, they're not alone anymore. Uh I mean transgenders have I feel like they've got a long way to go. Like even in the LGBT community, but I mean, we're making progress and we, we know what we're doing wrong and we're trying to fix that. And I, I think that is, you know, it's an amazing point that we're at right now. Exactly. I've been to um, a few political events uh, around the area and seeing like some of the board members, some of the candidates who are actual open transgender people, that as a child, like, first of all, transgender like just the whole concept of even having an idea of it as a kid did not exist mm-hmm. like you know that was it was such a different attitude and now the idea that people are not just being open vocal allies but who are raising allies who are and again i'm in my mid-30s i have friends a few years older a few years younger everyone's having kids um seeing people who are raising their children to understand the differences in people and to fight and stand up for those people is something that is feels so unique you know i saw some of that growing up just because you know good people tend to hang around good people um <laughs> tune your own horn there aren't you i'm just saying like our we didn't have that many shithead families in our circle because those people don't survive long in good circles you know um and so but seeing that in wider circles, like, the, as a child, you know when you walk into a house or when you're hanging out with a family that's just intolerant, you know, that, you, but especially, like, when we were in Japan, if you're, like, at a big picnic or a sports banquet and um, you have that family that's making fun of the Asian parents when they're not in, not in the area and, you know, the kid's doing the little yuck-yuck joke to you and... You're, you know, in your mind, you're like, what the hell do you say about me when I'm not here? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like, but that's, I feel like that is just not acceptable anymore. And so if you hear those things, it's probably because you're with the only, you're only with people who think that way. Because, like, you can't say stuff like that in the office anymore and it'd be okay and it'd just be a joke. Like, that will get you your pink slip. And that's an important, those, those small steps, again... The things that affect your everyday life, those small changes, those are huge. I, I definitely agree. Then I also want to say, point out that, you know, in regards to politics, the idea that you know we had a black president is, you know, it's just crazy, next level insane to me because just didn't think it would happen in my lifetime, you know, and, and here we are. Every time I listen to Tupac changes and that line comes up. I think it's evident we ain't ready to see a black president. I was like, yep. I remember I remember being in college, singing that, being like, and people were like, you don't think we'll have a black president? I'm like, my kids might see a black president. If I'm old enough, that would be nice. I thought I would be, I really thought I'd be 50 or 60. Yeah. Legitimately. I did not see it happening that quickly, and not the way it happened. And not only that, but um, <laughs> it's kind of funny now because it's like we grew up t- – in, in 
you know, parents and they're always saying, you can be anything you put your mind to. And then you're like, I can't be the president. You president. Know? Hell yeah. I remember saying that as a child. Right. You know, but now you're like, oh, wow. I, uh, I, I guess I wasn't aiming high enough. Exactly. You're <laughs> like, I was not working hard enough. Barack Obama makes me feel like a slacker. <laughs> That's the thing about it. It's just like, uh, well, technically we would not have been old enough. That's like, true. I'm still not 35, so you know, it's I say I can make it happen. 2020. Uh, no, I think about it. It is funny because I remember being a child, whether with my parents are in school, you're like, there's no evidence that that anyone black, anyone who's not a white man is going to be president ever. You know, because um, there was was there wasn't even a black speaker of the house or a black, you know. A black Ted Kennedy, or you know, there was no. You were you're like, who's going to be the guy who's been in there for like 25 years and has basically become Morgan Freeman? You know, who's gonna who's gonna be the Morgan Freeman character who has the gray hair and everyone trusts him because he's a wise old black guy who's never had a scandal and ended up being a young black dude who balled out. Yeah. With and you know what? If you had asked me as a kid. You're going to say, hey, there's going to be a black president um, in your th- in your 30s, or I guess in your late 20s, early 30s. I would have guessed that he was married to a white woman. I'll be honest. I would have guessed that. No, see, I would not have guessed that. I, w- I don't think. I, I think if Barack Obama had been married to a white woman, I don't think he would have been president. I don't think he would have been president just because I don't... I disagree with that. I think he still would have. And and this is the only reason why. As a kid, I would have thought that would have been the only way a black president would win is if they literally took two worlds and put them together. That's the only way... Because I, I always felt that the white community, even though they are Democrats, wouldn't trust a black guy enough. Because especially having living... Like coming into a political mind in the South, Virginia and North Carolina, I... like there are people who are just like I would there were times where I would hear adults say like I like this guy but I just can't trust him in this position mm-hmm. and you're like what that doesn't make any like your first statement doesn't match up to your second statement so I felt there was enough people who felt like that who were just like ah well I like the fella but not as president you know I'm just <laughs> But if they're like, well, you know, if he's nice enough to marry, if that guy would give his white daughter to that black guy. No, see, that's why I don't, well, I guess we, we're arguing a hypothetical and we'll never be able to find out. I never have to worry about <laughs> right. it, which is nice. Uh, okay, but yeah, so so where else where else have you seen like a lot of change that, you know, how far we've come and all that? Um, I like the, the, the change that I've seen as a sports fan. Um just the emphasis of talent over a face, you know. Um, a lot of people, especially being a person who now lives in the Boston area and being a long-term sports fan, understands the history of race in Boston. Um, you know, as much as people in Boston will like to defend their love of the Celtics, um, one of the reasons why they love Larry Brown and Kevin McHale so much was because Boston was always seen as a white working-class city, and they love their white heroes. Um, that was the history of Boston. But in the mid-90s, early 90s, the people like Barry Bonds, uh, he said, you know, I would never play in Boston. I would, it doesn't matter how much money they offer me, I would never want to play in Boston. Uh, and there were other cities where that was the same, the same deal. But now in sports, it's just about talent, you know? 
maybe that's capitalism coming into it full tilt or I don't know but I love the idea that you can have there can be a black uh, not anymore but at the time um, there were two black coaches two the black the head coach excuse me the head coach of, of the football team and basketball team at the University of Texas were both black mm-hmm. if you told people that that sounds insane and granted, there's still a need in like the NFL and in college football to have minority re- more representation. The head coach of Penn State is black. Uh, the head coach of Texas A&M is black. Like, these are things that just seemed unfathomable uh, when I was even in middle school, high school. That just it, it didn't seem like talent was allowed to reach those heights. There were one or two guys. And oftentimes they're really vanilla. But now it's just like people are allowed to be people. And it's not just um, black people. I obviously, being black, that's the first scope I look through. But, like, um, you're starting to see more Hispanic representation. You're starting to see women coaches in football and basketball. not And in basketball and the professionals, not just coaching on WNBA teams, you know. Um, no head coach, but some assistant coaches who are rising through the ranks who will one or two who will probably be a head coach from our lifetime, which, again, it's all about talent and not about, you know, you're not able to do this job. Yeah, and then, I mean, you look at Serena and Venus Williams and uh, Sloan. Yep, no. Sloan Stevens, who just Sloan won Stevens. All-American semif- uh, semifinals, three out of four African-Americans. And I'm somebody who doesn't know sports, and I I know these names. (laughs) That is absolutely awesome. The idea that the effects of Tiger Woods and Serena and Venus, more importantly, the fact that Serena can be held as one of the greatest tennis players, regardless of sex, and in my eyes, the greatest female tennis player, bar none, she is playing at a... Basically, the only reason why she's not winning because she's pregnant. And she won a major while she was pregnant, which is insane to me. And then she goes away, and her sister, who basically loses a lot to Serena, comes right in, and while she hasn't won a major, has gotten to two straight semifinals mm-hmm. and one final. And, and while we're on the subject of sports, and, and I'm just going to bring this up because, once again... Once again, I'm horrible when it comes to sports, but um, I want to give props to Andy. You know, we're we're talking about um, how far we've come and and we've also come far with people who are willing to speak out against, you know, uh, sexism, racism, um, you know, all forms of misogyny and and, and whatnot. And, you know, a really great example of that is uh, Andy Murray. Uh, He was given an interview um, and somebody mentioned that he was the first U.S. player to reach major semifinals since 2009, and then he quickly... Well, not Andy Murray. Uh, uh, what's his name? Andy Fish, I think is the name? It was the American the reporter was referring to, who was Andy Murray's opponent. Oh, okay. We'll see. Andy I'm, Murray's British. I, I'm, okay, then. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you pointed it out. Because <laughs> uh, he, he responded with, the first male player and then i was like what yeah i'm the first male player to do it you know so uh, uh listen andy murray is the realest dude in tennis and i'm a big nadal fan 
Uh, but Andy Murray's my favorite player. He stands up for the women. He basically told a group that he... Um, so earlier this year... Um, yeah, go ahead and correct it real quick. No, earlier this year... No, no, you were correct on that. You got that whole story minus the his nationality part, right? Okay. But earlier this year in another incident... Um, a woman, uh, a woman who was working for one of the tennis tournaments, made some uh, borderline uh, homophobic, but definitely some sexist comments. And so a bunch of the women were like, "We're not going to play if she's she's still part of this." Um, and so they were sort of trying to decide whether or not they were going to do it. And Andy Murray's like, "Listen, he's like, I'm not coming, and other guys shouldn't be coming either because there's no place for women to be treated like this." And they booted her just like that, which is sad that we're still in a point where it needs a man to to get that ball rolling. But the fact that there are people, the fact that he comes out and says they need equal pay for for winning this for winning Wimbledon, there's no reason that we should get four point five million dollars and they get two point two. That doesn't make sense. Are they not the best women in the world? Is that what's that what we're saying? Then they should be paid for it. The fact that, like, you know, people supported uh, the U.S. women's hockey team when they went on their boycott to get equal pay and resources so that they can be year-round players like the rest of um, many of the athletes and sports teams and other national teams. It's just, like, the fact that people aren't fighting these battles alone anymore. Yeah. I think is the biggest deal. It, like, that's something that can't be underscored, you know. That's one of those things where we're talking about, you know, how far we've come and we have come far. That not not just that, you know, these things are happening, but they're becoming the norm. Agreed. Um, and we still do have a long ways to go, you know. Like law enforcement is is still is, pretty jacked. <laughs> it's still jacked, and it's still really scary to be a minority. Um, I will say it's easier to have inf- better information about knowing where you're going. Um, like, to be honest, we're driving up to Cincinnati next weekend, and I know I won't be speeding when I'm going through Appalachia and into the Midwest, because I know the history of those areas. And But now you have that availability. You have that information, that knowledge. Still a long ways to go with that, with private prisons, with the court systems, voting, politics, economics, yada 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 yada. But that does not under that's that's what evolution and building a society is about, you know. I definitely feel um, even in like you said, in my short thirty four years on this life, or my long thirty four, depending upon how you look at it, um, this planet this country has gotten a lot better and I know a lot of us are depressed with um, Trump and the Trump administration and just like it seems sometimes it's so dark and it's so hard to see the end Um, but we're going to rebound from this and we're going to rebound in a good way I truly believe that right and that's really what you know we wanted to to talk about this this week because we just want to say you know as bad as things seem you know just think about how far we've come just think about how how much uh social media and the thing has and and things like that have changed the way things are just think about the faces you see on cnn even fox news you know uh the the faces you see that are talking um the the people who are are, you know changing the conversation you know we've come a long way and that's that we can't really underestimate or underscore just how important that is 
And think about the faces you don't see. Glenn Beck is not on television anymore. Uh, Bill O'Reilly is not on television anymore. Like, those people still exist and they still have their medium, but you have to go out and find Rush Limbaugh now. You know, you have to take make the effort to be a racist. And you know what? People, ordinary racists are getting fired from their jobs. Not just the big ones who get caught and then are forced to resign. Dudes who work at pizza places in California who go to marches in Charlottesville get fired now. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, that's Charlottesville as bad as it was. Just look at all the people who screwed themselves over because they, they attended some, something like that. You know, that's a big deal. People who have had to move out of their towns, who have lost their jobs, who can't go back to school anymore or don't want to go back to school anymore because everyone hates them because they're a fucking Nazi. Consequences don't always happen, you know, especially when it comes to, like, abuse of power by authorities. But nowadays, at least they can't do it in the dark, you know? It sucks that the officer who shot Tamir Rice less than two seconds after he exited the car didn't go to jail. But he lost his job, and he's damn near unemployable. Uh, it sucks that, um, what's that fucking piece of shit who killed, um... Philando uh, Casilla? Yeah, it sucks that he didn't go to jail, but he's off the police force, and he probably won't get hired again. You know, there's so many victims, but there are, the consequences are growing, and they're becoming more and more the norm. Um, the officer who assaulted that nurse is going to lose his job. I believe that. I firmly believe that. There's no way they're keeping him in that position. The officer who said we only shoot black people lost their job. People who abuse women... Unless you're Donald Trump. I mean, those people tend to lose their jobs now. And women and other victims, men, victims are coming out and being stronger, knowing that they're being supported. Um, so, yeah. And if if you want to even put it in simplest terms, um, Donald Glover on one, of his, uh, on one of his comedy specials, when he says whenever people say times are worse, this is the worst times ever, he's like, no, it's not, you know. You never have to worry about anyone breaking into your house and enslaving you, so things aren't that bad. We've gotten better. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as, like we said, things definitely can be better. And I think uh, as bad as things you know, are, they've been worse and are getting better. And uh, we shall overcome some of these dark times. Speaking of overcoming, I'm just going to do a mini rant just because I don't have a real big subject that's really been gnawing at me. It's been a good couple of weeks despite, you know, some of the bad things, the natural disasters, the politics of things. Um, I really have been reflecting on how, you know, how good life can be. But there's one thing that has been bugging me and nagging at me that just won't go away. And I saw an email chain and some just email fighting between like 40 different people and it was the same conversation that 30,000 other people I'm sure are fighting between 30,000 others it's just idea of like rehashing the election again as many of you know Hillary Clinton's book is coming out um, CNN bought an extra copy uh, and they released a bunch I think the Atlantic did as well 
And one of the takes was the whole idea that, again, she blames Bernie for weakening her going into the general election. Now, Reg and I have said this before, and Reg, feel free to jump in if you if you if something jumps out at you. Um, listen, Hillary Clinton needs to just go away. All right, she needs to go away. I agree. Um, she has got to stop blaming everyone but herself for her own loss. And I know in this book, Hillary supporters will say, in this book, she takes blame. She says it was her election, it was her results. My mom always said, anything you say after but negates what what you just said, you know? Anything anything, bef- anything before but is negated by but. So, like, if you're like, it was my election, it was my results, but the Russians, but Masai... You know, there were... It was a, a lot of factors that led to her defeat. But to blame... To continue to blame Bernie Sanders and their supporters is just insane. And I, being a Bernie Sanders fan understand the phenomenon of the Bernie bros. The fact that there were misogynist um, people in the progressive movement is not surprising to me. They're misogynists everywhere. The people who mask themselves as allies until they get pushed a little bit and then all of a sudden they become just as brotastic as your you know, your cinema your cinematic uh, frat boy. So I understand I understand that those people existed. However, to call real progressive people who are questioning real issues in her platform and in her campaign and the way the DNC ran that election, Bernie bros is insulting. To call women who question or who weren't, who didn't support um, Hillary like anti-feminists and our fake feminists is like, it's not only is it insulting and immature, it is divisive and it doesn't help you for trying to defeat Donald Trump in the in the future, like and, and it was, uh, and I want to add on to that. It's like it really is important that we defeat Donald Trump, and, and continuing to to talk about 2016 over and over again does not help anybody, and it, and it, it hurts us because that's not the you know I mean, Tagan, uh, what's the name? Uh, Al Gore did not just keep talking about. You know his loss in in, in um to to, to uh, George W. Bush, and it, it's just it's mind boggling to me that we are continuing to have this same freaking discussion time and time again. It's like you lost, get over it. You know, move on. What are we gonna do now? You know, uh, the the fight was lost, but what do you do in in the future? You know, and and more importantly, listen. I am a Bernie fan, again, I said that, but I am a rational person, and I have no problems discussing his successes and his benefits as well as his flaws and his his defeats. Yes, he did not have enough national exposure. Yes, he did not have enough exposure in the black and minority communities, which made sense for a senator from Vermont. I, I understand that he had those weaknesses. But if we're going to have a, if we if you want to have a debate on the election, you have to be honest, all right? And and the fact of the matter is, a Hillary Clinton during the campaign, all the way through and after, never took responsibilities for her current and past mistakes. She failed the test of transparency and truthworthiness, and that's the same for for Donald Trump as well. They they both did. But if we are going to have this discussion, this debate, to this analysis, this intervention, if you will, to try and build a successful coalition, 
everyone has to be able to admit the faults and flaws. Or we could do what I suggest, get our shit together and just tell them to go away and work on building new candidates for 2018 and 2020. Because if we continue to fight this battle between progressives and liberals, Democrats and independents, we're going to lose again. Because as nice as all these climate change protests are, the resist protests, the women marches, the anti-free um, speech mask, uh, masking the racist, anti all, all these marches don't mean shit if people don't show up. Yeah, if, if we lose in 2018, and, you know, we, we can't pat ourselves on the back if we lose in 2018 because we didn't do the work, you know, because we're still fighting the same stupid ass fights that don't mean anything that aren't important. Exactly. While we, especially in places where we took heavy losses, like if they are going to make laws that make it harder for people to vote, then while we are protesting them and fighting them in the courts, we need to be registering people through those through those ways. And while we want to fight about whether college should be free, no matter what you make, or whether it should be free as long as your household makes under one hundred twenty five thousand, we need to be making fighting to also make free community college now. There are states that have done that. There are states that are moving to those areas. There are small communities that are moving towards making sustainable and living wages. Like while we can't while we're trying to fight it on the federal level, let's also do it on the state level. Let's stop. Let's get listen, we all know the flaws of the DNC. We know how they worked to rig the election in favor of Hillary. We know how they sent her um he sent her the questions for the debates early. We know the way that they worked like a corporation that wanted to guide their agendas first. It is important for us as citizens who control the power of our, voice, of our voices and our votes to bend them to our will or to leave them behind. And if that means leaving them behind, it means forming a progressive um, uh, political party or maybe um, joining the DSA for those who are interested in the Democratic Socialists of America, like it is important that we as a people come together and make sure that we are not manipulated and divided into voting for either frauds or voting for the lesser of two evils. Because if it's the lesser of two evils again, don't be surprised if Donald Trump is in for four more years. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Because if people didn't learn anything from this last election, there is a significant portion of the population who is not going to just accept the other guy. If you come up with another corporate crony who is is a fake, basically a, uh, a new age neocon wrapped in a liberal agenda, like people don't want small change anymore. People are tired of that. People are tired of, of giving 50 cents on the federal minimum wage every year until it raises up to... People don't want that anymore. People are tired of having their heads underwater or just above the surface. So... Get it together or go away. And that includes Bernie Sanders. If you're not running in 2020, you should probably make that known and, and continue to work the way you are. Like the free, the Medicaid for all bill is important. I hope that passes. Fighting for dreamers. Um, the fact that the Democrats sound like they're going to hold the line, they're not going to let anything pass until that goes through. That is important. We'll see if they actually hold on to that. Nancy Pelosi, we're looking at you. It is important that people fight and if those people don't fight we get them out yeah and uh i think we'll leave it on that but on that note i did want to mention one thing um jordan pill came out with one of the best movies of the year in my opinion uh with um 
get out. Uh, I think we've talked about that, but uh, he, he's, you know, people were like, well, what's his next move going to be? What's he going to do next? And it turns out that what he's going to do next is a movie called uh, The Black Klansman. What you talking about, Willis? Um, and no, it's not a superhero movie. <laughs> no, uh, it's a movie about uh, undercover African, a true story of, of an African-American police officer who went undercover to infiltrate the KKK. So uh, he's doing that with um, uh, Spike, Spike Lee, Lee, which is interesting. Uh, but yeah, so it looks like that's going to be Jordan Peele's new, next project, and I'm I for one am looking forward to hearing that story. Uh, you and me both. Um, I think it's going to be uh, an amazing movie. I actually know a little bit about that uh, story. It's I think it's going to be pretty cool. Uh, I think it'll be real interesting to see who they cast in the different roles. Uh, I think it will be an amazing movie. I'm I'm all for it and on that note we want to thank you guys for listening um you can find jonathan at tempe wmf on uh twitter uh you can also hear him on the latest episode of cinema chat uh he you know thankfully uh, filled in uh, we had some scheduling problems and then with irma of course and uh, he filled in and we talked about constantine so go to cinema chat podcast to hear us talk about constantine and how good that movie is um, yep, and you can find Reggie on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Hadanas, H-I-D-D-A-N-A-S. The best kind of double Ds. Oh, yeah, girl. Um, also, um, you can find him again, as he mentioned, on Cinema Chat Podcast. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, in my humble opinion, we'll be back. Uh, you can check out our old episodes at imhopod.com, and you can also check out my old Tempe's World episodes uh tempeesworld.com we hope everyone enjoyed the show yeah and as always uh you know speak your truth tell your story and stay woke